Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hey everybody, this is the One Hour Photo Podcast by Studio C41, and I'm Bill Manning, and uh, you know, I'm I'm going to just go ahead and say it, I got a whole bunch of uh, that new Ilford uh, Ortho Plus 80, and I started shooting it, and um, a few of the images that came off of that were like stupid overexposed and everything, and you know, I kind of knew that this film was a little different, but I really didn't expect to see the results to be very different to uh, how I normally shoot it. And so uh, there's been a lot of research that I've done on my end, and um, and I posted a few things out on the internet, and I had uh, Brian Dubois, uh, who has shot a, quite a bit about uh, of ortho film, not necessarily the Ilford uh, ortho plus 80 because there are other options of uh, ortho film out there so uh, Brian how are you doing man I'm doing great how are you doing today not too bad I you know uh, it is uh, nice and early in the morning for both of us but it is I got a nice good cup of coffee here that I roasted up and uh, I'm ready to have this awesome conversation same here same here just finished my coffee and I'm onto the water already nice nice well, um, all right. So I want to before we dive into this whole like ortho talk, because, it, you know, it is a very interesting film because um, I didn't expect it to be so different, like visually, because I am so used to panchromatic films and everything. And um, so uh, for the listeners here, yes, we're going to get really nerdy as far as like spectral sensitivities and all that stuff and uh all the merry because I'm, i i do enjoy having these conversations because honestly i don't know that much about ortho so i'm really looking forward to this conversation so um let's do this uh before we dive into that man let's let's learn a little bit about you and um and um you know what how you got into photography and and that whole spiel man oh sure perfect yeah. um i got into photography Oh, geez. I mean, a long time ago, my dad was a big time uh, photographer, always his passion, his hobby um, throughout the 60s, 70s and and on. So, I mean, I, I grew up in the darkroom with that. Mm-hmm. I, I would say um, I, I tell people, especially younger people today, you know, I've been shooting film for 30 years and I'm like, man, you must be an old man. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm almost 40. Um, but and I can I can I got it on my phone. I can send you the first picture that I can think of that I know that I took myself um, outside of just, I mean, I think as kids, we all had Polaroids and stuff and probably I I haven't found any of those, but so, I mean, I would say I've been, you know, about nine. So I've been about 89, really been um, shooting film hard and and getting used to it. Uh, Dad, dad always developed his own film right i mean that's that that was kind of his thing color film we would send out just because you know back in the day it it was kind of everybody made color film sound so magical and hard to develop at home (laughs) and we weren't really we weren't really shooting the volume yeah probably needed but we you know you know at nine ten years old it was in the dark room helping print stuff out we were bulk loading our own film um you know, more recently, as as he's gotten a little bit older, he's moved really more to digital. So I kind yeah. of picked up all of his old film collab cameras and things that have been collected over the years. Um, have his original Patterson tank and and wow. bulk loader. And I, I think the I was looking in the Watson the other day, and it's marked sometime in '74. So, um, wow. so I, I'm, I'm assuming the the Patterson tank's the same way. And and so you know. Oh, uh, not not that uh, I'm you know we're paid or anything, but Patterson tanks last a long time. Good stuff. Yeah, no, that man, that is so cool. That like that is something that you and your dad have shared, um, and has passed down, and and you continue on. I think that's really cool because, um, it, it's kind of funny. My my parents, you know, we had film cameras and stuff like that, but my dad was never like into photography or anything along those lines, and it's kind of funny because. When I pulled my uh, when I found my dad's X seven hundred in in the uh, closet, I asked him. I said, "Hey, can I uh, can I uh, use this?" He goes, "Hey, if you can get it working again, um, yeah, you can have it." And I was like, "Cool." And all it was is the battery, and it was dead because the shutter was locked on it. So 
we dropped the new battery in it and it worked just fine. And, you know, I ran a roll through it and I got prints back and brought it back to him. And, and I said, yeah, this was shot on that X 700. He says, you didn't shoot this on the X 700. I said, yeah, I did. He goes, dang, I want this camera back now. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's pretty funny to, uh, to see how, like, you know, I don't know if the, like, I never really had that connection, but passing it that down um, and helping your dad out. And I, I'm sure that like there, I would say that like certain um, triggers uh, in the light, uh, in the dark room kind of like bring you back. Does, does that ever happen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, people talk cameras. So I'm, I'm a Nikon guy because dad was a Nikon guy. Yeah. Um, you know, more recently I've moved into other stuff with, especially with like mirrorless cameras, you can, you know, adapt all sorts of lenses and things. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, I've always kind of done the Nikon thing and, and, you know, everybody in the Nikon world, the big thing is an F2 or an F3, right? Yeah. And dad's had both those cameras, but I always remember growing up, the big thing was a Nikromat FTN. So uh, probably for years and years, I've gone through all sorts of different Nikon cameras and I finally settled on, I've got a, a, a slight upgrade. I got the black FTN and it's got the, uh, 51.4, um, SC where dad had always had the 50 F2. In fact, the first lens that I got that was an icon lens was one of his 50 F2s that he'd had for nice. a long time. So still my favorite lens probably of all time. And you get those. I've got, you know, when I got the box of cameras and things from him, um, two cameras were in there. One was, a uh, uh, either, either pre-war or probably, probably just very early post-war Argus C3, um, that had belonged to his dad. And, you know, my grandfather died in 82 when I was born in 80. So I don't know anything about him um, other than I've got that. I have his Spotmatic SP that still has his name and the wonderful old, you know, mechanical punch label tape on it. Um, and then when I got the rest of the stuff, I think I've also got an old Zeiss five centimeter enlarging lens. And dad's like, well, you know, he was really big into photography and stuff. I No, I don't know that much about him. So mm -hmm. those, those are the things that you're like, wow, this is cool. Oh, wow. That's really freaking cool, man. I, I can't. Yeah, I wish I had some kind of connection like that um, to photography. Uh, I think it was I think my really interest in the film photography it just kind of blossomed because I wanted to shoot something different um, from digital. And then I just got sucked right into it. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome that the, to have that kind of uh, link. Uh, and I, I think it also kind of translates into the passion as far as when it goes to making prints and stuff like that. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, right now, sadly, I don't have room to do the whole dark room and wet print like I, I probably would like to, but mm -hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll do it later on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, but on the flip side too, people are like, well, how come you don't print? I, I spent years doing that and for things I want to print, it's I'm lazy nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no, so totally it just you. happens. Yeah. But, that's cool. Well, yeah. uh, uh, so um, that's not the only thing that you do. You you've kind of uh, since you do the film uh, photography, you also tinker with some cameras, right? Yes, I. It's kind of my hobby. Um, you know, I, I'd love to build hot rods and stuff, but I don't have the budget, so <laughs> I, I'll tend to. I tend to tinker camera with cameras. Um, I, I sell some. I'm not really, you know, full time reseller like some of theirs there's some great folks out uh out there that are doing that kind of stuff but yeah. you know a lot of it was you know dad's like hey here's all the old cameras that have been sitting on the shelf you know most of them they don't work mm -hmm. and so it's you get a box of cameras for free what are you going to do well let's see if i can get it to work kind of like you and your x700 so yeah. you know i've got various things and then there's there's no risk when there's no money involved in in it and certain things worked and then certain things you know, it's like, okay, well, let's learn how to, how to set up a range finder. And then, you know, you learn that, oh, it's not just setting it at infinity. You've got to actually align the things so that throughout the range it works. And, mm. and, you know, I took the old Argus C3 apart, got everything lubricated up. And it turns out those things work well when they're lubricated, not credit up and got everything working just to the point that there's a little cast pot metal piece that trips the shutter and it snapped in half. And oh. it's, and it's like, well, what do you do? Yeah, I get another Argus C3, but they're not exactly the most exciting cameras in the world. So right. then it's like, oh, well, let's see. And here's somebody's put together 
you know, some various different adapter pieces. So let's just go ahead and adapt that to, to a mirrorless digital camera. <laughs> um, you know, because it's still the same old old lens and stuff that's on there. And yeah. It just you get into little things like that. I've I've repaired quite a few cameras. I've got I've learned quite a bit about um different, you know, especially leaf shutters and stuff. So mm-hmm. it came in handy. I came into a, a 1936 Rolleiflex old standard that looks like it either went through war or was buried underground oh. for a few years and really wow. you know, everything was frozen up in it and closed, you know took it apart and uh got the shutter basically working other than like the bulb setting doesn't work which isn't that big of a deal right um the mirror over the years and old cameras they go bad and there's a, a real nice gentleman on ebay who custom cuts um in silver's mirrors and i'll send them out to you so i got a oh, replacement cool. mirror and uh, on the really old rollies like that, when you take the mirror off, it has they penciled in the production date. So I know that that one was made March 11th, 1936. Wow. I didn't and know so, that they penciled that in. That's really cool. On the real old ones like that. And so I, you know, put that back together. It has the original glass that somehow I managed to crack when I uh, put it back together, which is kind of sad because those, those really old ones had a little bubble level in the bottom corner. Mm-hmm. Super handy. Um, so I just use it with the crack. I mean, it's yeah, just a camera. It's easy enough. But yeah. that's one of my favorite ones. You go out. I went to Bonneville this year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, let's go check out some cool hot rods. And you end up talking to all these old hot rod guys because they're like, what the heck is that thing? Because <laughs> it, it, it ain't pretty. Yeah. And then there's, I was, I'm not going to restore it. It's, it's a survivor. It just looks like that. So I'll pick up stuff, and I've got stuff that you know I never, I never fixed. Um, well, you know, one of the favorites, everybody wants the old Nikon uh, L35AF, right? Yeah. Just reputation, stellar lens, and they never seem to work. Mm-hmm. Just just finicky. Um, I've been inside one, and I can tell you why they never work, because it's half electrical and half mechanical. It's like a crazy Rube Goldberg contraption in there. And so I had one that Dad had had for years, and I just couldn't get it working. So I mm-hmm. thought, well... Now, there's a lens in here and found someone online that had done some rudimentary tests and stuff. And it turns out the lens in that, you pull the lens out and cut the collar off it, file it down a little bit. Yeah. And it just happens to drop into the old Innistar 50-2, those little cheap Russian testers you can get. Pop the glass <laughs> out, put the lens in there and get a little flat mount. And it just about the perfect uh, register distance for a Sony mirrorless camera. So now wow. I have this great contraption. <laughs> Um, wow. You know, it doesn't line up. The uh, focus scale isn't anywhere, but I mean, it this doesn't matter because it's not like the focus scale is right anyway. Right. So, oh, that's so it, cool. You do what you can when you got old stuff, see what you can make out of it. Right. Yeah. No. I, and I've seen a whole bunch of articles where people have taken, uh, very old cameras and, uh, and then, uh, figure out a way to adapt them on. And, and honestly, this is, I've, been really enjoying that with my Sony because I have a a seven three and um I have a I got a uh, Leica M six but it had to go off to DAG to uh, be CLA'd and uh, there's a bit of a wait for it so in the meantime um, I bought a Metabones adapter to put my Zeiss Planar um, fifty millimeter f two um onto my Sony A7 III and I was blown away. I was like, holy cow. Now granted it's not a vintage lens or anything along those lines, but you know, the have that M mount and then convert it into uh an E mount, I can certainly see where all these articles people get the opportunity to, you know, play around uh and adapt things. I think I saw somebody that adapted a um uh like a, an old nineteen 19- uh, 1890s lens onto uh, a Sony, and, and I was just like, just blown away. I think somebody did a 4K video on it, and it had like such a vintage look to it, just through the lens on the video. It was pretty fantastic. So that's incredibly cool that you're able to um, uh, tinker in, in that kind of way. So have you run into like any major challenges? Like, were there one any ones where you were just like, oh my gosh, I don't know why I'm doing this? Uh. <laughs> Not a lot. I've had a yeah. couple that have, have that have just, you know, I wish I could get them going. And uh, mm. uh, the old the old Minolta Hymatic AFs, I've been through a couple of those, and I just gave up on them because they're like the L35. They're just really hard to get one that works, and they're mm. just half electrical, half mechanical, and they're 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 
kind of a pain. Um, the first Nikonos I got, the Nikonos 2, and its shutter is just kind of flaky on it, and I kind of I gave up. Mm-hmm. You know, neat camera, but you know, any anything old that you want to take underwater is you're you're kidding yourself unless you you can find a tech that can actually properly service any of that stuff and you know nobody does the old nikono stuff anymore because they just don't yeah. make parts for them i gotcha gotcha well cool man well uh we, we learned a little bit about you and um and how you got into this whole thing and um and i'm really excited to talk about this uh uh ortho stuff because um when ilford announced this i was i i will happily admit that i was very much wrong as far as my predictions on what uh they were going to come out so for those that are listening i don't hold secrets i don't know when things are coming down the line i'm right there with you guys when when these announcements come out um but you know it's it's certainly interesting um that they went with ortho um and it kind of took me surprise by surprise because I knew there were some ortho films out there. I know that Silbera had put one out there for 35. Um, but I was just like, wow, I never, that was interesting. I thought that there would be demand for certainly other things. Um, but I kind of, I'm kind of okay with, with what they decided on because it is so different and it's so niche. And it's really cool that Ilford did kind of go against that and say, Let, let's try taking, you know, their four by five uh, replication film and, and use it for applications for actual photography. Um, so I have been enjoying it, but I don't know much about ortho film. And I know the, the wonderful world of Google and all that stuff can certainly get you in the right path. But, you know, I'd like to kind of take the opportunity in this episode because you commented on it saying, you know, oh, I believe you were talking about the spectral sensitivities. And then we kind of talked about, you know, on the back end about this film. And I was like, you know, this is incredibly helpful. And I think that we should certainly ha- do a podcast episode just simply on ortho film. And so I got into this orthochromatic film um, via, you may have heard of his Fuji, either Eterna or 4791. Yep. Um, and it's, it's actually just nerd out for two seconds here. Interesting (laughs) film. So, you know, all, all modern Hollywood movies are shot digital, right? Yep. And, uh, motion picture industry said, Hey, we need, we need to archive everything for at least a hundred years. So we don't lose it. Um, you know, there's a history of silver acetate film fires, bad things happening Mm. in films, right? Yep. And so there's no digital storage technology that's rated for 100 years. Mm-hmm. And so Fuji came up with a a film. They basically – it's reverse technicolor. They take a digital film, split it out to red, green, and blue, yep. run it through a laser writer onto this this film stuff. So um, I, I ran across a real nice gentleman, works in a film archiving house, who – you know this stuff comes on 2,000-foot spools. You run your movie wow. out. What do you do with the rest of it? And so he, he kind of um, – would sell this stuff off as, as, you know, make a couple extra bucks or something for the film house. Right. Yeah. And so, um, same thing that you're writing this with a green laser. So it's, it's it, same type of thing. It's copy film, but so why bother, you know, don't give it any red sensitivity. It'll be easier to handle in the dark, just like kind of Ilford's doing here. And, uh, big difference is it's way slower. It's more, much more classic. I mean, we're talking ISO eight, 10, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why do I think people would be turned off by this? I think the biggest thing is that um, two things. Uh, with explosion of digital, uh, a lot of people, their first experience for black and white isn't film anymore. It's digital. Mm-hmm. And and it's gotten better over the years. Kind of some of the early cameras would basically just take one of the channels and strip the color from it. Um, some of the newer cameras are a little bit better about just desaturating the color from all the channels some of the fujis even have some film emulation um but you miss like you talked about that that what's called spectral sensitivity you know where what colors are recorded on the film and that's that's where film kind of has its thing and and we're all used to if you've used film it's panchromatic right so uh not just panchromatic but a lot of films have a little bit of a bump sensitivity towards towards the red end to lighten it up a little bit um especially important if you're doing portraits and things right is is mm. people you're taking a picture of people 
Um, generally, things like freckles, blemishes, those tend to be more towards that red color. Right. Um, so one of the big, big things that's going to hit you hard when you try out this ortho film um, is portraits aren't going to look the same. Um, you look at those early pictures, I think, of, of like the explorers going to the North Pole in the early 1900s, right? Yeah. And yeah. they all they all look like they all look like they got some sort of sunburn or something because their face <laughs> is so dark. And that's, you think about it, you go outside in the cold, what happens? You, your face turns you flush red. and your yeah. face turns red. And so that's, that's what this film, film kind of does. Interesting. Yeah. I never really considered the thinking about, I, I just thought that it was like frostbite you know, <laughs> Wow, that's I never really thought about making that connection. And and it does make sense because, I mean, in some of the research that I've done, um, makeup was certainly very different because, you know, the with red being insensitive um, or it's not registered um, as other colors in orthofilm, um, the makeup had to be different. Um, and I was kind of looking around, I came across this interesting color wheel as far as how the certain films would, or certain colors, uh, would register out in the form of like a, a monochromatic, uh, look. And so like red is the darkest of the darks. And, and so that translated in, in the sense of makeup to avoid using, you know, red lipstick or red blush because it would show up as black. So they would end up using, you know, tints of green and blue um, uh, to to really kind of even out the skin tones. Um, and especially I think like uh, lighting conditions also were affected because I think tungsten light um, uh, was not as uh, effective. So they had to shoot a lot of the footage outside in daylight to actually be able to get the film speed fast enough for, for video. So it, yep. it's really interesting to see how, um, how ortho was kind of like this first iteration really of, of um, black and white film and, and how it's led us up to, um, to what we have now and what we're so used to with the pan chromatics. Um, now let me ask you this. So you've shot a whole bunch of the Fuji of Turnham and, um, and so you kind of have a good feeling as far as like, ex uh, ex as far as exposures, what, one of the things that I noticed, cause you know, I just went out and did some testing and, you know, I, I didn't really spot meter things or anything along those lines. And, and I started thinking as far as like, well, how do I meter this thing out? Right. And so, I just kind of went in camera with the with the um, Pentax 6.7 that I have. And so uh, and the Pentax 6.7 meter is actually exceptional. Like, I mean, if I'm shooting color film, I know um, that it's pretty much dead on when it comes to exposing it. And I was a little surprised because things came out very overexposed um, in the uh, in the Pentax 6.7. So. I guess one of the biggest questions that I have is like, how the heck do you go into like, you know, exposing this film? Like, even though like you have greens and blues that are more sensitive than reds and blacks and stuff along those lines, I guess, what are some of the things that you notice as far as like, has, does that change how you meter this film out? I, I think that's a great question and a couple of things. And I'm going to tell you the same thing I tell everyone I talk to, which mm -hmm. is how did the negs look? Yeah. Um, you know, they look nice and dense. Did they look thin? Yeah. Uh, and then did you scan them yourself or did someone or did were they scanned when they were processed? Yeah. So when I did it, um, so they, they're nice and thick. <laughs> so, um, so they're, they're very, um, and, and by meaning thick for the listeners, um, it, you know, very, very well exposed or overexposed in certain areas. Um, so when I went, the results that are on Instagram are as a result of uh, scanning them through my SLR or through the Sony, you know, uh, copy stand setup. So um, I, I certainly took advantage of the raw capabilities of being able to uh, under. Uh, so I did different values. I did some that were, you know, overexposed, underexposed, um, 
uh, and then you know looked at the histogram and say, okay, this is probably going to be right around the middle exposure. And so I kind of there was a lot of tinkering as far as in uh, Lightroom as far as finding like a healthy balance. Um, and so I think having that flexibility, I got there. But I was like, okay, I don't, I don't want to necessarily be doing this for every single shot that I'm doing. I want to try to be able to make sure that I'm getting there in camera first. So that I think that's kind of where I'm at. Awesome, and 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 I appreciate the response there. It's exactly kind of what I expected from you know following your show and stuff. And yeah. and so it leads to my answer now that I had you have a long winded approach there, which is it generally for me it generally works fine i mean i've got an old uh, minolta xg1 i picked up mm-hmm. and for some unknown reason if you set it to iso 25 nails exposure at iso 8 no idea why but i i figured that was a sign when i got that at the same time i got this <laughs> film that's that slow mm-hmm. and i i don't tend to have problems with it nailing the exposure but of course it could just be that i got a film that nobody developed so i had to come up with my own developing routine Mm. um so it may be that developing is maybe a little bit different than what what ilford wants yeah um to suit your style especially if you're scanning yeah um i tend to i tend to make things maybe a little flatter um for that um but I don't tend to find a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, and it, maybe it might be worth for your readers linking to, um, are you familiar with the Photography Mad site at all? And uh, they've got a, uh, their nice article they have on using filters in black and white photography. No, uh, I haven't. I mean, but yeah, we can certainly uh, dive into talking about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, and it just... Um, uh, maybe take a look at that, and that might be something that might be linking to. They've got a really mm-hmm. neat chart that shows um, how different films respond to, um, you know, no filter, red filter, orange filter. Uh, and and the reason I say that is since we're talking ortho, it's a good one to put in front of people to kind of get your mindset in it. Mm-hmm. If you look at the blue column they have there, it's real similar to kind of how the, the ortho responds to colors. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, there, there is some stuff you have to think about about metering. So you have to look at look at your scenes. Um, you know, what are you what are you yep. shooting a picture? Are you shooting a picture of um, a a nice red barn, but it's surrounded by a green field and it's a bright blue sunny day? You know, normally you shoot something like that. Okay, you know, you might want to put a yellow filter on there, get a little bit more sky contrast. Things should look good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna shoot that on ortho film. What you're gonna have is a super dark building. In a mm-hmm. super blown out sky. Yep. Um, it's different. It's it's a whole different mindset. You're basically looking at a film that's going to take anything that's blue, uh, blue or cyan, make it really really nice and light. Um, anything that's yellow is going to be just about middle gray. Anything that's orange is going to be pretty dark, and anything red, um, it's. I, I hesitate to say it's going to be black mm-hmm. um, because it, it's not particularly black. You shoot a stop sign, it's just going to be kind of a darkish gray. Yeah. Um, we've got a really cool old like uh, grain building around town here, and it's it's cool and concrete, and, and it's got little cracks and stuff. And it has little spray-painted marks at some point that look like they're height marks. Mm-hmm. Bright red spray paint. I mean, I'm talking like Ferrari bright red. <laughs> and. And I went, oh, you know, I should shoot it on this stuff. and Let's see what it does. So they come out as just like black as black can be on the on the shots I took. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a metering thing as much as you've got to get your head in the mindset of this is this, it's a totally different world. Yeah. And I, I think um, people always ask us, those of us that have been around for a long time, you know, why do you always make such a big deal about Acros? Mm. You know, Acros is is got a little bit different sensitivity maybe than um, your typical panchromatic film. And if you think of how little difference that is, but how big of a difference it makes in result. Now think of a film that's basically got no sensitivity to red, hardly any to orange and not even really much to yellow. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's very interesting because I did certainly, I shot that first roll completely blind, you know, and then um, and then came back and I was like, OK, wow, this was uh, not what I expected. And I didn't for some people that can certainly be a turnoff. 
um, because I think a lot of people will go into the same approach as I did is just throw it into the camera and then go and shoot it. And then they're going to get, you know, negatives that are probably going to be really blown out or are results that they're not used to seeing. And, um, and I could see some people being turned off by that, but for me, at least it was like, okay, this is intriguing because I kind of knew that, colors were going to look a little weird on it at first or uh how it responds to colors differently um so when i got that first roll out of the tank and i started looking at it i was like okay this is interesting what can i do differently with this second roll now because then i have three rolls and so um i was like okay if they're coming out overexposed then let me try to meter it differently right and so um so it's rated for 80 but i started shooting it at uh like 100 you know trying to see if i can underexpose mm-hmm. it a little bit and um and so still kind of like a little bit overexposed and i was like okay you know i'm okay with the results that i'm getting out of it but uh i did notice like uh in one of the pictures i was walking around this salvage yard and i saw these like really really red lockers and i was like okay, I know that's going to turn up really, really dark. And I'm kind of curious to see what that would look like. So it's not a pretty picture or anything along those lines, but it was certainly something I shot that with intent to see what that would look like. Um, and I, I kind of got a good chuckle out of it because they're, you know, everything looks, you know, cause it's, you know, rusted out stuff and everything. It looks normal. And then you got these straight up black lockers. <laughs> It just kind of threw me yeah. off because it looked so different. It's, it's one of the things I I love about it. I mean, about shooting ortho film, it is great for rusty, crusty industrial stuff. Yeah, I and mean, we've got we've got a real small community here, and we've got lots of little old places, and, st- and I, so I started kind of walking around and lots of things with with you know something that's painted blue and has rust or green and has rust. You're gonna just get this great monster contrast but even um you know things you don't think about so something that's you know a a light gray but has rust on it's going to have a lot of um a lot of punch to it yeah and i i think you know that's one good point you point out there um i don't know if this is something a philosophy that you have but this is an an old-time philosophy that's always come from me which is you, you can't make a judgment about a film stock mm. or even a camera or anything yeah. a minimum of three rolls yeah there's something um you don't you don't really want to make your judgment based on your first exactly. roll because something could have happened it could have been especially if you're developing stuff yourself yeah. or or it's something new um and so that's what i do i go out and, and do the same stuff you did um more recently i've been working a little bit more on okay so how's this stuff going to look with people um we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about the explorers you know previously and i've done a couple of different shots um my i've got a revere 33 stereo from the 50s mm. absolutely love this stuff it was is a camera that was designed during the time period where you know you were shooting kodachrome 10 if fast yeah. speed was maybe 25 yeah. so uh, and then you get it past F8, it starts vignetting and stuff. And mm-hmm. so you put some nice slow speed film like that in and, and, uh, you know, taking some different various portraits of stuff. And I'll tell you one thing, you know, if you're, you're doing portraits of, of, uh, male subjects, especially people that maybe are a little bit older, you just get a, just, it can give a really nice accentuates hard features, a nice look there. Uh, on the flip side, you want to do photography of female portraits and things. It, it can be interesting. It can, um, you know, I, my wife is very kindly lets me take pictures of her every now and then, um, even though she hates it, but, uh, <laughs> it, it definitely wasn't flattering to, to her face just because it's, you know, generally when we think female portraits, we think of something that's a little softer and, and maybe right. not enhancing features and stuff out. Um, so so it's interesting but like my my kid who's eight years old now man does he look macho when i take pictures of him with it so (laughs) just funny how it's funny how it works and it's it is it's a different mindset and i think it's a great reminder of you know what film can do and why why it's not 
it's black and white. It's not just an absence of color, but it's really um, capturing different parts of the color spectrum. Absolutely. And and I, I agree with that notion that I'm not shooting this film to I mean, I'm I'm shooting it because I've never shot it before. Um, and there there are certain aspects where, yes, I'm kind of I don't want to say turned off by it necessarily, but. You know, it's like it is certainly a different mindset when you go into shooting this film, because I think you have to, if anything, it teaches you to be more intentful with what you're photographing. Right. So if you just go running around shooting this film uh, without thinking about how do colors affect this, you may just kind of say, you know what, ortho is not for me. And then, you know, go back to panchromatic films. I think that it kind of opens the gate up a little bit to start thinking about, okay, well, if I'm going to shoot this film, you know, how does it go on? How's this color going to affect it? And, you know, and I think it really does a great job teaching, you know, something along the lines of what Ansel Adams was very big on about pre-visualization, right? You know, um, and, and that's something that I'm certainly learning and I'm, I, I still have the one role left because I want to, play around with doing some portraits on it but you know it's certainly three rolls of film is not enough for me to say oh i'm an expert on ortho film by any stretch of means right you know this is something that i want to to experiment even more and especially with photographers that you know they say oh well i i shoot triax well you know if you talk to certain caliber photographers you know, they know that film in and out and how it reacts to certain developments like they, they are very set in the process. And, and it takes a very long time of um, uh, experimenting and and trial and error. And I certainly see that with this with this ortho film that it's just it's going to take um, a lot of experimentation. And if it's something that I'm open and willing to bring into my process. I certainly see myself shooting this film a lot more in order to to really train myself, not so much to just shooting ortho film, but training myself to be a little bit more intentful with, you know, what I what I am shooting. Oh, yeah, I, I certainly agree. I actually think that the it's a bold move by Oford and there's the danger that a, that a lot of people are going to jump in, pick up a role like you did, yeah. and are going to be completely turned off by this film because yeah. it's just, it's not really a general purpose film. Yeah. Um, it really has some specific um, context. It's again, we go back to filters and photography. You, yeah. you learn about black and white filters, you know, yellows, yellows by far the most common, then probably red, maybe orange. Every now and then people use green. You never hear about people using blue because, <laughs> because yeah. all the text you read, you read old books. They're like, yeah, that looks weird. Um, <laughs> and this yeah. is kind of the same, same kind of thing. Uh, but for certain things, like you talked about the lockers or, um, I've done some, some rusty stuff. My wife's uncles have a nice a nice farm. Um, and I've gone out and shot some stuff with some of the implements and some of the farm stuff. And it, it just gives this, uh, it can give a really wonderful, wonderful old look, but mm. you, like you said, you almost have to do the, you have to do a little research and studying. And yeah. I, I don't know if I'd be ready to call myself an expert. I've probably shot about 20, 25 rolls. Mm -hmm. of this film now just kind of um getting used to it and it's it's not an everyday film you know i right. i shoot i've shot triax and stuff for years and, uh, and a lot of like fomapan 100 um under the arista label shot mm -hmm. it for years and years and years and, and yeah i've got a lot of that stuff very finely tuned um but that's kind of why i wanted to come here and talk to you about this it's it's yeah. people should give it a try but it's you definitely want to think about it it's not not really, not really what you're used to. So, yeah. um, maybe, maybe a couple of, of suggestions for people that I could give yeah. of stuff to try. So you want to go out and try this. Um, so I think we've harped on this enough, but, um, you know, it, this film doesn't see red and, um, I would actually be kind of interested if they, if they made this in bulk, because what a wonderful mm. way to get people into bulk loading. If you could use a, uh, a red safe light and, and oh, well, yeah. traditional safe, safe lights, lights aren't, yeah. 
aren't useful, you know, aren't really that common these days. You can go buy a $10 LED headlamp at, at Walmart or something or at your local sporting goods store. Most of those will have a red LED in them and you yep. don't want to shine it directly at it. But right. that's just about more or less. And I, I say this with a giant star because somebody might go out there and find one and it, it's got a little bit of not right. right on it but what a great way to learn if you can at least use some some red light because that's it's, it's scary for people to get into bulk loading and you know i've done it so many years i can go in the dark and you know put a put the film in get some cans loaded without even thinking about it but it's it's yeah. hard at first um but other other advantages um take some portraits with it like i said uh female faces maybe maybe not gonna come out the way you want um, but it, it'll be different if you find someone that's got some really strong freckles, um, those should really stand out Yeah, real well. Um, male portraits, man, if you want to make somebody look kind of, kind of macho, um, <laughs> it, it can work real well for that. Yeah. And then you just, just think about the colors, um, concrete and rust, things like that, that go together, anything, uh, bluish with rust or, or old. Um, I'm sure a lot of us love finding old abandoned places and yeah. stuff that you can get to. Those kind of things work well. Your your typical like landscape or something you might want to shoot, or even shooting a barn could be pretty rough because it's gonna again probably come out black with a, a completely blue sky. And it's, it's yeah. I don't know a way to tame the sky with this i was looking through the the uh ilford data sheet and they actually talk about filter factors Mm -hmm. um but like you sure as heck wouldn't want to put a red filter on this i'm not (laughs) sure you get much any exposure that much (laughs) even if you look at at the yellow they're talking about a deep yellow is a 5.5 stop filter wow so basically you could think of a yellow as an nd filter for this film yeah interesting yeah no that's so five stops of light just with a with a yellow filter that's insane deep yellow filter yeah the normal yellow is two and a half two and a half okay and then of course if you read the oford sheet under any sort of tungsten lighting yeah um, it's rated as 40 instead of 80 and that's because you know your tungsten light is primarily yellow orange wavelengths so you're just not getting as much light off of it so shoot it in the daylight um go walk around and do stuff i wouldn't actually be um opposed to overexposing this film i mm-hmm. might try it at 40 in the daylight um the thing about copy films and then i'll be honest i haven't shot this ilford one yet because it just came out mm-hmm. uh, but some of the copy films tend to be really high contrast because they're designed for high resolution copies of black and white documents mm-hmm. Um, so, and that may be part of what you're seeing is that it's building contrast really fast. Yeah. So maybe an, an actual little bit amount of overexposure might help. Um, but this is, this is kind of, to me, it's, it's a good kind of, it, it's good for kind of grungy rural type photography, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised too, with the image latitude, uh, that I got out of this because, um, when I looked at this negative and, you know, once you start looking at certain negatives and you kind of kind of already kind of gauge as far as like, you know, where the exposure kind of lands and everything. And I was like, man, I feel like I really blown out these images. And um, and so but I was really surprised as far as the amount of detail that I still had in those really, really overexposed areas. So like there's this one picture that I took of uh, uh, like a house that has been abandoned since like the late 1800s. And so it's been overtaken by growth and it's on its last legs. It's already leaning. So eventually it will collapse. And, um, and so the sky was this like, you know, really overcast day and really, um, uh, skies were like that bluish gray look to it and everything. And so it translated as almost black on the, uh, on the negative. And I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to get any detail out of that. And, uh, I was, there was detail. I was pleasantly surprised 
that I was still able to recover those blown out areas. And I knew that film you can recover quite easily, uh, but I was very surprised as far as uh, how much I was actually able to recover um, in that image. So I think that image was certainly a very good experiment on, on so many levels because uh, I did do a color image of that one as well. Uh, shot on some ektar, but you can see there are some really dark areas in that image, and then there are really high highlights, you know, whites in in this uh, image, and you were able to you can pull out detail in just about every aspect in that image. So I was actually very surprised as a result of how well this this uh, Ilford was able to handle that amount of contrast. Yeah, awesome. I would expect that. It's yeah. something people don't think about with black and white film, but shoot, I was shooting something the other day and and uh on a Konica I was servicing and it had got stuck in auto mode. So it was metered for F eight and it shot at F one point four. So that's what four or five stops over. <laughs> so so I know this this really low speed Fuji that I normally shoot at like ten was fine at ISO point three now. Yeah. There there was detail, just out of focus. Yeah. So I, I think it's good. I think, you know, I do think people should try, but as, as you said, this is a great conversation to have. And this is, um, if you want to nerd out on film, this is a great way to, to, you know, dip your toes in that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. I've, and I think I've learned a lot just on this film because, um, for me, I was at least when I just went out and shot things, um, I was it's like, oh, that neat click, you know, and, and that was kind of the thought process. But certainly now that with this ortho, I'm thinking a little bit harder as far as, well, how's this image going to start to look like when I when I do take this picture? Right. And uh, and I think it kind of also has introduced, at least for me, to be a little bit more intentful with the pictures that I take. So this last role that I have, um, I'm planning on doing a portrait session. And so one of the last things that I want to try to experiment with now that I'm kind of more aware of what I'm photographing now is, well, what do I want? What do I want to succeed with this shoot? Right. So I'm thinking harder about, okay, well, I want to kind of see what, you know, blue eyes uh, does to the image. I know, I know what it will do, but I I'd like to see that firsthand. Right. So, um, uh, a, a blonde haired person with blue eyes, is going to kind of really, really accentuate. Um, as somebody has said, joked around, uh, the, uh, ice King, right. From, from game of Thrones, the, the those white blue eyes, um, are going to really, uh, make the, image very dramatic and then i'm going to start considering well what do i want to do with the makeup right so um i don't necessarily want them to put on red lipstick or something along those lines because then it's not going to look right so it's really got me thinking harder about how i want to take this picture um or these pictures um uh with this film and i think that's a really i think that's the big takeaway at least for me and 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 shooting something that's completely different yeah, and and you get to play with history a little bit too, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean besides historical film and 1990s goth who else wants blue lipstick. Mhm. So I think it's it's wonderful. So I appreciate you having me on and and talking about this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um we're starting to wind down here. Um and um typically I finish off our interviews by asking a question and I gave you a heads up on this. Um, what question did I not ask that you would have liked me to have asked? Have you given that any thought? You know, I think I gave it a little bit of thought and I, yeah. I'm not sure. I think we <laughs> kind of covered the stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. I'm glad you, do, you know, dove into the history a little bit Yeah, and, and, you know, want to caution people that you know, this is kind of a weird film, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give it a try. Um, why not? Yeah. It's something different and something fun. I'm just trying to think. 
No, I can't really think of anything that we didn't cover. So really cool. you you were too well prepared, my friend. <laughs> no, no, that's totally cool. I do also want to make a recommendation to listeners here. And I'm actually thinking about doing this because I think that there's been a mass exodus of Flickr. And I think that there is certainly some validity still to it. And I think I'm going to try to revive Flickr. Um, um, and I'm going to create an account and everything along those lines, uh, at least for the studio C41 side of it, there are some really good groups out there. When I went to Flickr and I started searching on Orthofilm, and I was really surprised that there is still a very good community that is still very vigilant on keeping <laughs> Flickr alive. And I, I do see myself uh, kind of starting to go back to Flickr and starting to uh, contribute uh, to that environment because, you know, what I do like about Instagram is yes, there is a very good sense of community and everything along those lines. But I don't know. I feel like that um, with Flickr, we can certainly make those contributions um, more significant. So I'm going to be uh, making that suggestion. If you're really interested and you have it, uh, in your hands, this Ilford ortho or even the Eterna or any ortho film, um, definitely do your research, go, go look and see, you know, these images and with the information that, you know, now, like, okay, uh, you can kind of start piecing how this image looked like, right? This, these, for example, my, the lockers I shot, you know, were really, really dark, almost black. Um, you can certainly say, okay, this was probably somewhere around this particular color. And, and you can certainly learn off of that. So I'm, I'm going to give huge props that, you know, with at least Flickr in that particular sense, that I'm, I'm going to start uh, using that as a research tool um, because there's a lot of great content still running around in there. So, all right, guys. Um, well, uh, I think that uh, it wraps it up for this uh, episode. Uh, Brian, thank you so much, man, for coming out here. Um, so how do we find you on the uh, the Instagram worlds? Uh, social media is pretty easy. Um, I've been around for a long time. I'm actually one of those long, long, long time Flickr users. You may find yeah. me in some of the old film groups talking about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, all of my stuff is everything on all social media is it's Mr. Bois one M R B W a one, um, Instagram, Twitter, Flickr, pretty much everything. If, if it's not there, then I'm not on that platform. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to keep as consistent as possible just to make stuff easy. Um, you want to go do your research on Flickr? Boy, I got a whole lot of stuff on that uh, <laughs> Fuji Eterna film. Um, it's not, maybe not the most interesting stuff because, yeah. uh, a lot of it's just experimental photography and, and it's, it's a hobby, but sure. Um, certainly go check, check me out. And uh, when you get the, the studio site out, let me know. I'll, I'll um, I'm definitely going to have to look that one up on Flickr. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, open that uh, account up after this uh, conversation. And, uh, and I'm also going to start uh, linking to Flickr. Uh, in our uh, show notes and everything like that. So after this, I'll, I'll grab your link to your Flickr page and all that stuff. And uh, so we'll we'll start including Flickr. I'm bringing it back, guys. So, all right. Uh, well, uh, Brian, thanks again, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot uh, from this conversation and I uh, really look forward to shooting this last role. And I promise listeners, I will report back um, after uh, I get the results uh, from it. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, you can find Studio C41 on Instagram at studio.c41. You can find us on Twitter, studio underscore C41. And you can also buy our T-shirts on the Studio C41 website. Uh, it is in the store section, studioc41.net. And uh, you can find the official Shoot Some Film Dang It T-shirts there. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube, um, and I'm, I actually got a whole bunch of stuff that I'm uh, working on. I got some of the new Acros 100 um, that I'm going to be doing a video review on. I'm going to probably do a video on that ortho film that we've been just talking about. So I'm certainly making a big headway, uh, making big headway on uh, getting that into the uh, YouTube world. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, again, thanks for listening. And shoot, shoot some, some film. film. Dang, Dang it. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>